Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We are a little bit late this week. We had some um, people on the holiday, people away. So we're going to do a two-part show. We're going to do a very quick review of the Austrian Grand Prix 2022. And then we're going to get into this week's news. I am Ollie, and to cover this with me, we have Abby. How are you, Abby? I'm good. I'm very hot, but I think James might be even hotter in the south of France. So, yes, we do have James with us. Uh, James does sound like a, like a pilot this week because he is on holiday and using his travel equipment. But, James, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, apologies for the uh, audio quality not being up to our usual high standards. But, uh, yeah, good. Enjoying the south of France, apart from the fact it's 38 degrees, yeah. 38 degrees. I'm like, track temperature, pretty much, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Wow. Uh, when you turned up on, on this um, on this fine recording that we have here, I actually thought you were naked, but you are just wearing a tank top. But it's a very yeah. similar colour to your skin. Yeah. She's getting redder by the day, yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk a bit about the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, let's start with our weekend ratings. We did it uh, for Silverstone. I quite liked it. Let's do it again. Um, I would say race ratings, but we had two races really. So let's just call it our weekend ratings for, for sprint race weekends. Um, James, what would you give this out of 10? Maybe a seven and a half. I would say it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was the race itself was pretty eventful and the sprint was okay. I mean, I'm generally not a fan of sprints. It was about the same, but it didn't totally ruin the, the Sunday race. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty good overall. Okay. Um, Abby, what would you call it? I'd say a 6.5. It was a good race. There were a lot of battles on track. We saw like a five-car battle at one point. But the sprint, like James, I'm not a massive fan of them. And it kind of was just Verstappen. He had the lead and he kept the lead. So it was a 6.5 from me. Okay, I'm going to give it a a six, I think. I, I actually enjoyed the sprint a little bit more than the actual race, but we'll, we'll get into this. Let, let's start with qualifying. Um, so it was Max Verstappen who claimed pole position. Were there any surprises there, guys? What did you think of Max Verstappen throughout sort of practice going into qualifying? Well, it looked pretty close, as ever, between the Ferraris and Max at least. And then we had surprisingly the Mercedes up there looking like they were fighting for pole. 
so it looked like it was going to be maybe even a six-way battle for pole, and then yeah, it didn't it didn't turn out like that. We'll, we'll get onto that in a bit. But in terms of pole itself, it was really close. I mean, it was a couple of hundredths, wasn't it, in the end? But you know, that's not bad. It's only third pole for Max this year. Indeed. I mean, uh, Ferrari have always looked pretty good in qualifying. Abby, was this any surprise to you, their performance in, in qualifying in Austria? No, it wasn't. I kind of expected this weekend to be Red Bull and Ferrari against each other with others um, not quite so competitive, especially Mercedes, because they had said that Austria wasn't going to be a track that was suited to them. There are a couple of bends that their car just doesn't suit very well. But it was nice to see them kind of fighting at the front. But it wasn't a surprise for Verstappen to get pole and then for Leclerc and Science to be right behind him. Now, what about Perez, guys? Uh, obviously, he secured P4, um, which wasn't bad, but should he be more in the mix with Ferrari at the moment? What, what are you guys thinking about his performance, especially after, you know, poor, poor, poor few races, really, for him? James? He, yeah, he, he, it's kind of a false dawn, wasn't it, when people thought after Monaco that he might be in the fight. For the for the title, and it's all gone a bit wrong, and not all through his own fault. Obviously, he had the mechanical failure in in Canada, but yeah, it's like they've the developments they made to the car have definitely gone back in Max's favour, and then obviously he didn't even get to keep that fourth, which is uh, a pretty big talking point. It is. I mean, James, I feel like you might as well continue on that. What what happened to <laughs> Perez? Well, the, the stewards seemingly just kind of forgot. To, to check track limits despite having done it obsessively all weekend they missed the fact that he should have had his final Q2 time deleted and having had his other ones deleted as well he shouldn't have made it through and they realised that belatedly and knocked him back down to 13th on the grid and poor Pierre Gasly who was 11th didn't get his shot at Q3 Okay, now, I mean, the one big, well, the, the real big talking point, obviously, from qualifying, was two crashes. Um, one from George Russell, who managed to set the fifth quickest time at this point, and then end up in the barriers. But then Sir Lewis Hamilton also did the same thing, um, ending up qualifying in 10th. Um, guys, what was going on with that Mercedes? Do you think they were just pushing it too hard? Do you think the tweaks to the car, the bouncy surface, what, what do you think was the cause of this? And... What did that do to this, the, the, the momentum from uh, Silverstone for Mercedes? I think it definitely would have disrupted the momentum. Obviously, Lewis was on the podium and it was both Russell and Hamilton's home race. And it was a positive weekend for them. So to come here looking strong in practice and then crashing in Q3. And we don't normally see Hamilton crash like that, I don't think. So it, it was quite strange to see whether it was the, the surface of the um, circuit on the car I don't know but it was a shame to see them do that because they were looking very strong yeah it was I mean the people spoke about a gust of wind kind of similar to what happened to Carlos and Max in Spain so whether that played a part I mean like you say it's very rare to be fair for both of them they're both very consistent we all know Mr. Consistency for George and Lewis you know having what <laughs> barely any DNFs in the last five years. So, yeah, uh, it was a shame because it denied us what looked like it was going to be one of the biggest battles for pole we've had since, what, like 2012, pretty much. So the qualifying results, obviously setting the grid for the sprint race on the Saturday. And before I just go into those those qualifying results, um, what do you guys think about the qualifying setting the grid for the sprint and not the main race? This is obviously a source of frustration for a lot of fans. I mean, Abby, do you think that this is something they need to change? I know they're looking at it. 
Yeah, I think I think they do, especially since obviously we've been following Formula Two and Formula Three as Formula Nerds a lot more now. And seeing the way that their weekends work, I feel like that's a lot more entertaining for the fans and for the drivers as well. And having a reverse grid for the sprint, yes, it could help those who qualify further down. But if a drop like if Max got pole in qualifying with a reverse grid he could start 10th if he is that good of a driver we should be able to see him get through the field and then start the race further up so i think it is something that they need to look at because it isn't that entertaining when you have someone qualify on pole start the sprint race on pole then just keep the lead i feel like they need to change it somehow Mm. james what do you make of it yeah i agree Uh, i think if you if you're reversing the grid i don't think you can then set the the Sunday race from the qualifying uh, sorry from the sprint qualifying sprint race whatever they're calling it now but you confuse the hell out of me with that <laughs> okay <laughs> if yeah they can't set the Sunday race from the Saturday sprint uh, if they're reversing the grid but I think yeah I've seen the idea put forward of using reverse driver standings for the just the sprint. I think they need to do something because yeah it acts as a bit of a spoiler for Sunday and then you get conservative driving anyway because people don't want to ruin their Sunday by going for one point on the Saturday yes exactly now before we do move on to this sprint I think there's a couple of notable a couple of honourable mentions um the two Hasses uh Kevin Magnussen and Mick Schumacher getting into Q3 this was wicked what's happened to these guys do you think it was just the track that suited them um Abby as a fan of the sport was it something you enjoyed seeing yeah, it definitely was. I think, I know Haas said that there weren't any more major upgrades that they could bring. So it is good seeing Schumacher especially come into this car and find the strengths in it and adapt it to his driving style because him and Magnussen are definitely on a roll. And we saw Schumacher battle Verstappen. We've seen him now battle Hamilton as well. So it is great to see them from being from being at the back of the grid to now being not at the front, but in the midfield and actually battling with like Alpine and McLaren who are fourth and fifth in the standings yeah absolutely I, I don't know why they've they've always done well at Austria I think their best ever result as a team obviously it's no relation to the car now but I think 2018 2017 they got their fourth which is their best ever result as a team was also Austria so they go well there for whatever reason we know that the altitude affects the Mercedes it seems to help the Ferrari engine they've always done pretty well there but yeah no it's good to see because we we saw them kind of it looked like they were fading away after such a strong start and it's nice to see them back in the mix again in the midfield properly absolutely and especially with Mick as well like you said um so let's move on to the sprint race um you've already both sort of revealed that you're not massive fans of this format I personally really like it um I am going to be the different one there I think it's it's exciting having the qualifying on the Friday, if you can watch it, of course, and then having a race on Saturday and Sunday just makes it, for me, super exciting. Um, the sprint races just, uh, I know the clues in the name, and also they're not sprint, are they sprint races now? I'm still calling it a sprint race, either way. Um, but they, they are just a bit too short, um, and I know that's the whole point of it, but it, it just sometimes feels like there's there's more to give in those closing laps. Um, now, I think we need to talk about Ferrari before anyone else in this race. Um, obviously, Max Verstappen starting at, starting on pole uh, did what Max Verstappen does and got a, a fantastic getaway. But he did have a challenge from the two Ferraris. Now, 
Did Ferrari screw this up for themselves again? What are your opinions on this? James, I'm going to start with you. It looks that way. Uh, it looks like, and especially from what we know on Sunday, whether or not the, the cooler temperatures on Sunday played a part, they definitely had the pace in the car, but they were so busy squabbling. And yeah, you could see Charles came back at the end of the race, but on yeah, by that point, Max was too far ahead that it wasn't really... It was too little, too late. Uh, no, we all like to see racing, but again, it's that thing of Ferrari. We like looking, look at the bigger picture. We know you want to be fair. We know you want to encourage racing, but there are some times when you kind of go, right, you, you had a good battle now. Like, let's, let's, it's only, it's one point difference in a sprint race between second and third. Just get off after Max, work as a team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Abby, do you think they could have secured the win if they'd worked, worked as a team? Do you think they could have even secured P1 and 2? I think it was de- the potential was definitely there. I think yes, having a battle among teammates is good, but like James said, there is a point where you do have to call it and be like, "Look, the championship leader is getting ahead. We need to beat him." So instead of trying to battle with each other for one extra point, try and get ahead and close the gap and get max. It was a good battle to see, but I think Ferrari do need to pay more attention to having their drivers battle each other and sometimes put in those orders to say, look, we need to get ahead, we need to focus on the championship, not just battling each other. Now, I think I think the other side to this is it's inevitable that they're going to take each other out fairly soon. Um, it was extremely close at points at Silverstone, extremely points, uh, extremely close at points here. Um, James, is it is it just waiting to happen? Is that the point that Ferrari are then going to start making more strategic decisions here? Um, or do you think that there's enough respect in that team to prevent it from happening? Between the drivers, <laughs> sorry. Maybe. Uh, I think they they definitely hold. They seem to have a genuinely good relationship. Obviously, Seb and Charles came together. What Brazil uh, in in twenty nineteen, and that was. Did they actually do anything different after that? I, I don't know if they did. I think it was more just the boiling point. But then they carried on, and at that point, they were that was post engine, whatever technical directive, and they were kind of battling in fifth and sixth anyway. So. I think it would maybe make them do something different, though, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm with you. And, and we don't want to see a repeat of, of what happened in Brazil. Again, I think that was said being a little bit aggressive, but um, that's a different story. Um, and George Russell taking uh, what, what I thought was an extremely lonely... I, I, f- I forgot he was racing. Um, took P4 just out there on his own, no one bothering him, no one to attack, really. It was just a lonely race for Russell. But um, again, Mr. Consistency, the guy's doing nothing wrong at the moment, really, is he? No, he's definitely not. He has definitely come into his own in Mercedes and found that rhythm and balance with the car to just excel all the time. And it is great to see because he he is rivaling Hamilton at the moment. And it's nice to have that challenge between them. But yeah, George is definitely, he will definitely be a future world champion, especially with that Mercedes. Whilst I uh, agree with all of that, we can't avoid what what he did on Sunday in terms of him making no mistakes. But up to this point, uh, this point in the podcast and the the rate discussion, absolutely. (laughs) And um, what about Perez? So he started in P13 in the sprint and finished in fifth. Is this now a trend, a, a, a Perez trend of being very far back and working his way forward? Abby, what do you... what? 
Why, why can't other people do this? Um, well, we've seen some people. We've seen how. Well, Hamilton's done it. We all know that. But I don't know. I Not think recently he hasn't. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, with Perez, he is a good driver, and he was really strong in some previous races. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe this weekend it was the motivation because of the track limits penalty, which I really didn't like how that got delayed. Um, but I don't know. I think because he entered the championship fight, he is up there in the standings. Maybe that's given him more drive to try and battle Max. Yep. Okay. Uh, and let's talk about what was sort of the only thing we saw on 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 the from the coverage which was Lewis Hamilton and Mick Schumacher so Lewis started in 10th as we know um but it, he just could not get past Mick Schumacher in the Hess um, was this a genuine battle or was this just the way the circuit um the the circuit's racing dynamics present themselves because there's plenty of other passing going on but Lewis just could not get past those two Hesses now K Mag was potentially helping him out although We don't think he was in the end, Um, but he was helping Schumacher out with DRS. James, what was your view on on Sir Lewis, sorry, I call him the eight, uh, the seven-time champion not being able to get past uh, Mick Schumacher, who is on the best form of his career so far? Well, Sir Lewis, the seven-and-a-half-time world champion, (laughs) I think he did, uh, (laughs) yeah, he, it was just the acceleration of the Ferrari engine, it seemed like. Lewis had, they both had DRS, and yeah, I, it was bizarre that Kevin didn't keep him within DRS for the last two laps and keep him ahead. I, I don't know what was going on there, whatever. But yeah, the, to answer your question, it was a genuine battle because yeah, the, the Ferrari engine was powerful enough to keep Mick just that bit for. So when they got side by side, he just pulled away again, even if Lewis had got the better kind of drive off the corner, uh, and he did a great job of positioning his car as well. I think it was. Nice to see him kind of showing his wheel-to-wheel abilities, which we haven't seen much over the last year and a half. Absolutely. Now, Abby, do you think that Lewis was taking it easy, given that there's not as many championship points to gain from this? Do you think he was um, holding back slightly at risk of uh, being taken out by by Mick, you know, going too aggressive? Um, Or do you think this was a genuine battle? Because certainly it's given Mick a lot of momentum um, and courage to um, continue fighting. But... Was it Lewis taking it easy, in your opinion? I think there definitely was some aspect of damage limitation because he did have the crash in qualifying, so that would have inevitably impacted the weekend. And there is the thing of, like, you don't... You want to be aggressive to get past, but you don't want to be too aggressive to then make a mistake because we've seen... We saw Gasly spin at the first corner after contact with Hamilton. We saw Vettel end up in the gravel a couple of times. And then we saw Albon pushing Norris wide on track limits to get past. So there definitely definitely was an aspect of damage limitation. But I do think it was a genuine battle between the two because that Haas was just so formidable in that race that Lewis did genuinely struggle to get past. He said there was an aspect of damage limitation. Apparently, there was an aspect of damage as well. He said it didn't. The car didn't feel quite right. I think after that contact with Gasly, so that probably played a part. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lewis has always been cautious in wheel-to-wheel battles in recent years, hasn't he? It's the whole, you know, marathon, not a sprint kind of approach. So let's talk about the race. Um, Abby, do you want to run me through um, sort of the key highlights of this race? 
So we had Verstappen coming from the win in the sprint race to maintaining the lead, having a very good start. But both Ferraris were definitely on his tail. They weren't focused on battling each other this time. They were focusing on chasing that Red Bull. But it was a Mercedes and the other Red Bull that had a bit of a scuffle on the opening lap with Russell and Perez having contact going into a corner. I think Russell was on the inside, Perez was on the out. And the consequence was that Russell did get a five-second penalty. What do you guys think of that? I know there was controversy. Now, I have my views on it, but I'm intrigued to hear what you two think. I mean, I, I know everyone on social media is, loves to just say, oh, well, you know, it's a Mercedes and a Red Bull at turn for Austria, and they love to just take them out. It's just the nature of the corner. How many times have we seen it? It's, it's the camber. It throws you, especially at the start of a race, or, yeah, I mean, with, with Lewis and Alex, uh, it was just after a safety car, wasn't it? So cold tyres. But, yeah, so cold tyres, heavy fuel tanks, the car's just understeer. And if you put yourself on the outside, it's asking for trouble at that point, if not any point in the race. Yeah, I mean, if anything, you would have thought Sergio had sort of learned from that, right? Uh, sorry, Red Bull fans, <laughs> but you would think it. Uh, it's not like he hasn't been stung before, um, either, well, on, on the other end of the stinging, but I, I, it's, I think five seconds was what they had to do to make it, to, to do something, um, because obviously it, it ruined his race. I mean, guys, do you, I think, James, you, you've, you've said it, you said it perfectly, it is the nature of the corner, but what can they do to change that? Do they need to change it? Because it's always going to happen. I don't think they need to change it. It's it is the way it is. It's racing, and yeah, I don't think it, it was an unfair penalty for George. I mean, they're more lenient on the first lap, but something is kind of blatant. As much as maybe he couldn't do anything about it, he still came off better, and that's what the stewards tend to do. At the end of the day, it's it's not always the the intent, but it's the outcome that gets punished. So the fact that Sergio's off in the gravel and then out of the race and George is able to carry on, he's going to get a five-second penalty. And I wouldn't say it was a wrong decision. It was just, yeah, one of those things. Now, it took Charles Leclerc 12 laps to get past Verstappen. I was quite surprised about this. Now, do you think that there's there's something in, in Leclerc's and Ferrari's head here that they're on Red Bull home turf and they've got to prove their point? Because really, this, this, this was about the pit stops, not necessarily at that point in the on-track position. What are your guys' thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I think we could have seen him overtake Verstappen earlier. I, I definitely thought that he would have done. However, during that race... Leclerc overtook Verstappen so many times and that initial overtake on lap 12, you could see that the way Leclerc positioned his car, Verstappen wasn't expecting it. But pit stops definitely played a part in this weekend. And so did Fire. Um, who wants to talk me through this one that ultimately changed the whole results of the race? Well, yeah, I mean, poor Carlos. It, it was there. We were literally on board, I think, on, on the the world feed with him. And he just started fading away from Max, just as he looked like he was shaping up for a pass. And then they cut to the, yeah, the wide shot and smoke. And yeah, then very quickly fire. And it was genuinely uncomfortable to watch as he had to sit there with his foot on the brake pedal, 
as the fire grew and got closer to him and if he tried to get out the car started rolling backwards and it was one of those couldn't really see how the situation was going to resolve as the marshals didn't appear so either he jumps clear of a moving car and a flaming car rolls back into the path of the oncoming cars (laughs) or yeah he stays in it and potentially gets engulfed in flames and obviously that that marshal eventually made it there with his little stopper which did the job they cut away I noticed a little bit of wood well I was about to say I'm laughing now in the most technologically advanced sport yeah the the bit of wood yeah Um, yeah. I'm laughing now, James, but at the time I wasn't because, like you just said, they cut away from it. They cut the feed. So you're thinking, right, last thing we saw was a car that he couldn't get out of because it was going to yeah. roll onto the racetrack. We didn't know that the marshal was running along with a bit of wood uh, to save the day. So we were just left there thinking, right, is, is he in that car burning? Is the car rolling down the track? It, it was genuinely quite quite a moment, I thought. And it took them far too long to show what had actually happened. Um But my other favourite part, not that that was my favourite part, but the other highlight of the race was the five-man battle. Um, This was absolutely awesome. When can you guys recall seeing another five-people battle quite as well as that? And and who wants to just talk us through it? I honestly can't remember a battle like that at all. That was so good. It was Joe, Alonso, Magnussen, Norris and Schumacher. And... Joe, I'm pretty sure, was leading it at the beginning. And then at one point, they all went around the corner and then Joe ended up at the back. And then we had K-Mag and Norris battling, but Norris going off and just sit. It was really tense to watch because they did get very, very close. But seeing that battle was amazing. And we wouldn't have had that without these new regulations and new cars, I don't think. Absolutely. James, what did you make of it? I mean, you've been, you've been a vet, you're, you are in a veteran F1 fan. Um, this was like no other, right? Yeah, genuinely, beyond the first lap, I can't remember a five-car battle right, off the top of my head. I'm sure it has happened at some point in the past, but yeah, it's very rare. And it was, yeah, it was great to see. It was, it was all pretty fair battling as well. And I, you could maybe say K-Mag ran Lando a bit out of road but not like dramatically and he got back on and passed him anyway eventually so no no it's, it was really enjoyable to see and i totally agree with abby on uh, it being a great moment for the new regulations so charles leclerc he had some sort of issue developing towards the end of the race which um the f1 geeks of the world took great pleasure in revealing after the race on twitter and showing their their analysis of it which was genuinely really interesting james do you want to explain what happened towards the end of this race we are seemingly he developed this throttle issue where it wasn't coming all the way off i think it was 30 percent uh that was stuck on and he was having to uh, seemingly break to compensate for that but it was just it was so nervous for considering how charles in 2019 had the win ripped away from him by max as well at austria which would have been his first grand prix and he just had the bahrain thing with a mechanical failure and yeah it would have been a very harsh way for him to lose out another win after all his run of bad luck as well in the recent races so i was just willing him to to hold on for the win i thought he really deserved it and i still don't agree with the fact that max got away with that 2019 win personally i think it was. It set the precedent that we now see occasionally when the stewards don't decide to to enforce the pushing someone off the track like they did at, at British Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, overall great effort from Charles. I think he did a brilliant job and he totally deserved the win. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, Abby, what about the um, seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton and um, his incredible result? Really, given everything that had gone on that weekend. 
Yeah, definitely. So Lewis, he started the race in eighth, and I think just before the race, Mercedes were having to work on his car to fix a potential problem. But that didn't hinder him at all because he ended up on the podium yet again. And it was great to see. He managed to overtake Ocon and Schumacher, and he even had a battle with Verstappen at one point, with Verstappen coming out of the pits. But for that, being in Austria and starting eighth and not having a very good weekend with the crashing quality and that it was definitely a very good result for Lewis and especially since the Mercedes wasn't supposed to be that strong there it was definitely good to see and then Russell had a good result like we said as well absolutely so going through this finishing order of the race it was Charles Leclerc who took the win with Max Verstappen in second uh, followed by Lewis as we've said on the podium with George Russell in fourth Espan Ocon took fifth with Mick Schumacher finishing in sixth in the Haas which is absolutely incredible result for that young man who is really turning it into his own uh, Lando Norris in seventh K-Mag in eighth which is obviously uh, Two Hasses in the points, absolutely incredible result. Uh, Danny Rick in ninth and Fernando Alonso in tenth. So, guys, this brings me to your drivers of Sunday. <laughs> uh, James, I'm going to start with you. I think an honourable honourable mention to Mick, certainly. But I think I'll give my driver of the day to Charles. I think he deserved it overall. But yeah, great, great job from Mick as well. Okay, all right. I felt like that was two, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to you. <laughs> all right, uh, Shal, <laughs> uh, Abby. Uh, my driver of the day was also Charles because we did see him battle with Max and overtake easily, and he did have the throttle trouble at the end, which he managed to get through to take the win. Okay, and I'm going to give it to Mick, um, which is why I was like, James, you have to pick one. Um, but no, I think the whole weekend, the guy has been on form since Silverstone. It's really good to see how um, some positivity can, can change someone. And I, I really can't wait to see what, what he has to bring in future. Um, so let's just quickly cover the drivers and constructors standings. So still in first, we have Max Verstappen on 208 points. Charles Leclerc in second with 170. It's Sergio Perez in third with 151. Carlos Sainz with 133 now in fourth. George Russell, 128 in fifth. And Lewis Hamilton with 109 in sixth. Uh, following that, we've got Lando Norris, seventh. Esteban Ocon, eighth. Ninth is Valtteri Bottas and 10th is Fernando Alonso on 29 points. Abby, would you like to do the constructors for me? Yes, so Red Bull is still in the lead on 359 points with Ferrari in second on 303 points. And then Mercedes are in third on 237 points, but then it is a massive jump down to fourth with McLaren on only 81 points, which is tied with Alpine also on 81 points. Alfa Romeo are in 6th on 51 points, Haas in 7th on 34 points, Alfa Tauri are in 8th behind Haas on 27, Aston Martin are in 9th on 18, and Williams are in 10th with only 3 points. 
we're going to shout out to our sponsor of the episode, Eight Sleep. Um, this week, they're inviting you to a super exciting F1 sleepover experience, which is taking place at the Mercedes F1 factory. You get a behind-the-scenes look into the latest technology directly at the Mercedes F1 factory. You get a tour of the confidential factory of the eight-time F1 world champion. You get to meet his engineers and experience the elite recovery overnight, sleeping in an eight-sleep pod, just like Lewis Hamilton or George Russell. This is awesome. I need to come up with an alias so that I can apply for this because I want to go and stay overnight at Mercedes AMG F1 team. This is absolutely awesome. Um, Anyone is able to enter. All you need to do is go to www.8sleep.com forward slash formula nerds. Enter your email address where it pops up and you are entered into the draw to attend. Um, Guys, are you going to secretly uh, go, go for this one? Definitely. I mean, that sounds amazing. That's, that's a great idea. I remember when I was a kid, I, I stayed overnight at the um, Natural History Museum. But that is nothing compared to this, staying overnight at the Mercedes AMG F1 factory. I mean, Abby, is that not something that Christian Horner is going to be applying for? <laughs> I would probably think that he would, yeah, just get an insight into what Mercedes are doing. But that sounds like it would be an amazing experience. So if you want to stay overnight, meet the engineers, get a tour of literally that money can't buy. I mean, people are not allowed to visit this factory. Um, So if you want to do it, go to 8sleep.com forward slash Formula Nerds, enter your email address, and um, good luck to you. Maybe I'll be sleeping next to you, who knows? (laughs) But I think they would have something to say if I suddenly turned up. We're going to get into the news, and to do this, I'm going to hand it over to our news host, which is James the Pilot Audio McKenzie. (laughs) Thank you, Ollie. Uh, Reporting live from the start of France in the middle of a sunflower field, yeah. Well, in today's show, we cover the five biggest news stories from the world of Formula One as ever, including Michael Massey breaks his silence movement at McLaren, the issues with fan behaviour at the Dutch Grand Prix, the South African Grand Prix gathers pace, and silly season in full swing. So where else can we start but with Mr. Massey, everyone's favourite former F1 race director. He's broken his silence since his uh, formal departure from the FIA, uh, speaking to speedcafe.com first, and now he has said... It has been a pleasure and honour representing the FIA as the single-seater sporting director and FIA Formula One race director and safety delegate since Charlie's unexpected and tragic passing in Melbourne 2019. Having worked on various projects around the world with the Federation and its member clubs for over a decade prior to my appointment, I've now decided to leave the organisation and relocate back to Australia to be closer to my family and friends. He goes on, I, I won't bore you with the rest, it's the usual stuff. How do we feel? It's been a while. Has the dust settled? Do we forgive him? Uh, And do we believe that he was genuinely choosing to relocate or was he just fired? I think I, uh, I think given everything that had gone on, the, the, the stress that he was under, um, I don't think he wanted to do the job ever again or work for the FIA again. I think it must've been a horrible experience for this guy to be as all over the front page news of every newspaper or all over the world and to have been blamed for fixing the sport as much as I've been I've had my emotions about Massey he's still a human 
um, and you think about his family, his friends, and the toll that this has actually taken on his life. I, I think, I think, fair play for, for for pulling out. I don't think he was probably pushed out. Hence, the FIA did their restructure at the beginning of the year and put him in a, a, a lower key role. But you know, looking at this, the FIA have protected him against what was a horrible situation, whether he was put there to do those things or whether. He was genuinely uh, making mistakes. I, I don't believe Michael Massey ever intended to um, do any wrongdoings himself. And I feel that, yeah, this is, this is the time to go out. The dust has settled. The, he's left it long enough so that the fans aren't going to make a huge song and dance of this. But here we are discussing it. Abby, what, what are your thoughts? I think no, pointing out the mental health aspect and that, Ollie, it's, I think is very important because I do think people kind of forget that he is a human. I think when they hear Michael Massey, they're just like, oh, you're the one that fixed the 2021 F1 World Championship. And yes, there was all the controversy and people still might not have forgiven him and still disagree with his actions and that. But I think for him... This is the best thing for him to do. I don't think the FIA forced him out. I think it was his decision. I think it's the best thing for him and his family. And maybe he didn't quite feel at home in the FIA in that lower role and just decided that this was best. But I think the dust has settled now. And yeah, it was his decision and it's the right decision. I mean, there is a quote in that that I quite liked, which was the personal support of my family, friends, colleagues globally during this journey, and particularly in the last few months, can only be described as overwhelming and something that I'll forever cherish. Um, if you recall, Brundle was one of his biggest supporters. Um, I remember even Crofty talking about how he's one man with all this pressure on him. And I think the people inside the sport really know what he had to deal with during those, uh, well, during last year, especially. Um, but he, he, he didn't, he, you know, he was put in that position, obviously when Charlie Whiting passed, it wasn't something that he was necessarily ready for. Uh, James, what, what do you think? Yeah, uh, it's, it was an unenviable position. Definitely. He, he couldn't really win. he, I, I totally agree. He didn't do anything intentionally against Mercedes or Lewis. It was just him trying to honour the disagreement for excitement. And yeah, he made the wrong call in a decision, split second decision. And how many of us have to deal with that kind of pressure even once in our entire career? So fair play to him. I wish him the best. And yeah, I mean, I was very angry with him as a... a putting my Lewis Hamilton cap back on at the end of last year. But yeah, I think I'd agree the dust has settled and let's all just move on and look to the future. Speaking of the future, uh, Daniel Ricciardo confirmed his commitment to McLaren and to F1 today. Um, after all the rumours and speculation that he would be leaving, that McLaren would end his contract early, that Piastri or Colton Herter could take his place. Ricciardo put out a statement on Twitter and he said, there have been a lot of rumours around my future in Formula One, but I want you to hear it from me. I'm committed to McLaren until the end of next year, and I'm not walking away from the sport. Appreciate it hasn't always been easy, but who wants easy? I'm working my ass off with the team to make improvements and get the car right and back to the front where it belongs. I still want this more than ever. See you in Le Castellet. I, for one, am very happy that Ricardo has confirmed that he's staying with McLaren because I think that he does... Yes, he had last season, but with the new cars, I think he needs a bit more time to get into the swing of things. But there is another piece of McLaren news about their 
um, IndyCar team signing Alex Paolo yesterday. And there's comments about whether this signing has prompted Ricardo to make this statement because people are saying that Paolo could potentially take Ricardo's place, especially since he will be partaking in F1 tests as well as part of McLaren racing. What do you guys think about Ricardo's statement? Was this other McLaren signing kind of pushing Ricardo to confirm his status at the team? I mean, I don't think Ricardo knew his own status until probably today. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if, if if I should be saying that, but there there are clauses in contracts, right? Dependent on performance. I think um, yes, we all knew Ricardo had a deal, but whether that deal was going to be honoured based on his performance, it's debatable. James, yeah, I don't know. I I don't think the two are linked because I don't think the I don't think it was McLaren going. Come on, Daniel, like confirm you're saying. I think that it's more of the other way around. It's yeah, it's whether McLaren want to keep him or. I mean, I've seen a lot of people speaking about whether they might buy him out of his contract. <laughs> it would that would be a lot of money <laughs> to bring someone in. You could argue, yeah, if they'd had two Lando Norris's last year, they would have probably got third in the constructors, and um, similarly. Similarly, this year, if they had two Landos, they would be comfortably fourth. Is that worth paying out the, the contra- buying out the contract of their superstar, big earning driver? That's the question. But uh, I don't know. I, I hope Daniel stays in as well. I'm a, I'm, I, you know, everyone loves Daniel, and I think we'd all like to see him stay on in the sport. But you say about giving him time, he's had a lot of time now. Mm. And, and Carlton Hurton, he's been he, he's been pushed towards the 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 Andretti F1 team. Should that ever surface, so our our you know our McLaren are helping our, our good Andretti friends out, getting him getting getting him prepared. Are they bringing him in so that when Ricardo's contract ends, that would be his replacement? Who knows? But I personally, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see Ricardo staying. I think people forget how much of a truly brilliant racer that man is and has been and actually how much of a difficult career he's had and some of the decisions he's made have not been the best for his career in terms of where he's gone at the time as he's gone. But he's still Daniel Ricciardo and I'm glad that he said this. It's it's put all of these rumours to bed but I don't think he was able to say this before today. I think there have been a lot of discussions taking place behind the scenes that we'll never be privy to. Yeah, definitely. And especially since Zach Brown a few weeks ago made the comments of that there were the mechanisms in Ricardo's contract and he was in a bit of a slump with his performance. But then Andrea Seidel and that have said that McLaren need to provide Daniel with a car that suits him and that has the pace so then he can win races because Daniel has shown that he can race and win in the past. So it's just a matter of having the machine to do it. But I'm definitely glad he's staying and I think eventually when he does leave F1, whenever that may be, I think we could see him in America potentially racing in IndyCar. Or NASCAR as well. Oh, hang on. There, there's there's something. Could there be a swap? <laughs> I was just thinking that. Herter to F1 and Ricardo to IndyCar. There you go. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's the link for you, James. You heard it here first, guys. Uh, I think I, I don't think Daniel would go to IndyCar. I think he'd go to NASCAR, if anything, wouldn't he? He loves NASCAR. Next in the news, we are going to talk about the disgusting behaviour and abuse of, towards fans at the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. Um, now, there were... Reports of um, homophobic, racial slurs, um, other abusive comments towards fans at the track. Now, um, I, I want to just put this out in the open. There were 
female fans of Lewis Hamilton having their dress pulled up, saying they dis- they, they deserve no respect for supporting um, Lewis Hamilton and things like this. And I'd, I, I just can't believe this is happening in our sport. Now, anyone who's been to a race... You know, I've been to Silverstone many, many times. I've been to Spa. We all support different teams. You may be wearing a team shirt. However, you appreciate the sport of racing. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about motorsport. Um, you know, you don't go and kick, kick someone's head in just because they support a different team, as you do in other sports. Um, this really, it, it deeply upset me to see this. And at first I thought, is this just publicity? Is this just people trying to make a story out of something? But it wasn't. And this this was really happening around the circuit. I'm interested to hear you guys' thoughts on this and what 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 can we do to combat it? James? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything you said, really. I mean, I was, I was brought up with F1 being, um, I was introduced by to F1 by my family, but also it was that and football with my kind of two main sports. And I always preferred F1 for the fact that it was, yeah, you go, to, like you say, you go to a race and it was, yeah, you might go, oh, you're a, you're a Seb fan, I'm a Lewis fan, but you know, deep down we're all the same. I've had that with some of my friends who've been Ferrari fans growing up and I was either McLaren or whatever. And, but yeah, there was never anything like football with the, I've always hated that. I've always just kind of accepted it because it exists in football, but it's always been something I've kind of ashamed of in that sport that I follow. So it's really, really depressing that it's now come in and this tribalism has just got so much worse last year. I mean, we talk about, maybe it's the Netflix, uh, the Netflix, uh, what do people call it? Effect. It, Netflix, yeah, yeah. Netflixification. Yeah, the Netflix effect. And I don't know whether it is that, whether it's just the, the animosity that was in the title battle last year beyond most of what we've seen pretty much since Center and Brust when it didn't have social media to fan the flames of it. But they, I think something needs to be done. It's, it's hard to, you know, how much can they police the fans? I mean, that's not what we want to see. We don't want to see, you know, having to have policemen lined up all along the side like you do at football. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't think the British can get away from it this year. We booed every time Max Verstappen was overtaken. That's not something I've seen very often at Silverstone. Um, you know, when Seb Vettel was overtaken or, or, or another opponent. Abby? Yeah, I think... Like you say, football has that divide between teams. And yes, F1 does have that divide. But at the end of the day, we're all fans of racing. We're all fans of motorsport. So there is that camaraderie. But at the Austrian Grand Prix, some of the stories are horrific. And one person on Twitter said that they've never felt so unsafe at a Grand Prix, which is horrendous to think about because for me... F1 is like, it's a family sport where everyone can go and enjoy some racing. And then to see all these things happening, it is really depressing and saddening to see. And I think, yes, some British fans booed Verstappen being overtaken. And then there were some people cheering that Hamilton crashed. And then obviously last year at Silverstone, when Verstappen crashed and was out of the race, there was boo- well, there was cheering there from some non-Verstappen fans and it is really saddening to see and especially in Austria it is very much for me like Red Bull and Verstappenified if that if you take that like with the orange flares and that as a viewer from TV I couldn't see pretty much anything when all those flares were going off because you just have the orange dust and then if you're in the grandstand if you're not holding the flares you can't see anything either um but yeah, it definitely needs to be pleased. But like you said, James, I'm not entirely sure how you do that because you can't have 
police literally lining up all along the circuit. That's just not possible. Nor should this sport ever be something where we need it. And, and you know, it sickens me to, to, to think that we're having this conversation and there are reports of people feeling unsafe at a Grand Prix. You know, I've, I've, I've been to many different countries watching races and I've never felt uncomfortable. And I've been standing in an in a opposition country, if you like, wearing a Lewis Hamilton hat and never have I even had anyone say a word. And trust me, I'm not big and scary. It's not because they're scared of me. Um, it's because there's a racing respect there. Yeah, and especially with, like, there were stories of the women, like you said, about the woman um, who was a Hamilton fan wearing a dress, Ollie. It is quite incredible to see that this is happening because, like, F1, the audience is growing and more women are coming into this male-dominated sport. So for them to then be sexually harassed, for a lack of a better word, it, it is such a shame to see this. Now there is a there is a, a nice part to this story, which was uh, Molly and Julia, who were subject to some of this. They were invited by Aston Martin to go and meet Sebastian Vettel, Lance Stroll, and spend some time um, in the team garage. And um, what they said was, this was a small act which must be part of a larger movement to combat their unacceptable behaviour on display. All in all welcome, all celebrated. Now, this is, again, we've spoken this year a lot about Aston Martin doing great things for humanity. This is just another one of them. You mentioned races of the future, Ollie. There has been some rumours about a certain race that has been the talk of the paddock for quite a few months now with the South African Grand Prix. Now, it's been quite a few decades, I think, since the last South African Grand Prix. And we've seen... There is like Lewis Hamilton was in favour of returning to the country. And there was a tweet on Twitter that said that there was a deal that has been confirmed. But Formula Nerds had a exclusive given to them by Motor Magnet, which said a deal is on the table and it will be a multi-year deal, but it is yet to be officially signed. But it could be the race in South Africa could end up being early 2023 because of how Formula One are organising the calendar geographically. But there is still some work that needs to be done to the track itself because it is still a grade two circuit. But this is very exciting for South Africa to come back onto the calendar. I think it could be a great race, especially to have it next year as well. James, what do you think? I think it would be great to have as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, so the last one was in 1993. You definitely weren't born. I was just about born. And it was, yeah, because it was away for a while for apartheid, and then it came back for two races, 92 and 93. But Africa's been a glaring omission on this worldwide sport. For a long time, we have it pretty much everywhere else, by you know Antarctica, and yeah, I think it'd be great. Kyle Army, yeah, has a bit of work to do, like you say, apparently, but I'm sure they can get it there if they need to. And it seems like there's a big desire for it to go there. Uh, and I think, yeah, uh, it would be a shame if it cost us Spa, but I'd rather it cost us one of the the similar Golf Grand Prix. But what are you going to do? Either way, I'd, I think it'd be great to have it there. Yeah, I mean, looking at this track and, you know, some of the corner names, you've got one called Cheetah, one called The Crocodiles. This is a cool track. This has got personality. I, I'm not supporting removing Spa for this in no way, shape or form. I will be very, very vocal, vocally disappointed if that happens. However, 
I think this is a great move. I, I really do. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton has been one of the public supporters of this. I think that's that's really important. Um, obviously, the track needs to be upgraded. It's a grade two track. Um, and hopefully they can make some amendments to bring really, really good modern racing here, like we see in some of the other new circuits, because F1 in 92 and 3 is very different to what it is today. It'd just be nice to see us not go to a street track. Like as a new venue, because it's just it feels like that's all it's been for the last few years. I have heard rumours though that DHL have signed some papers on the logistics of going to South Africa though. So this is looking more likely than just a rumour at this stage. Well, we shall see. Uh, but yeah, we've got one one more piece of news for you this week, and that is silly season already getting started, already in full swing, no less halfway through the season. So as mentioned earlier, we've got Ricardo's future, which is a hot topic. Uh, he isn't the only one so being discussed for removing 2020, 2023 or 2024. Uh, part of that was stirred up by comments made by Ted Kravitz on Sky. They said about Piastri potentially moving to McLaren instead of Williams. Then we had comments from Toto about Charlotte Claire, which some took as him being in line for Mercedes in 2024, potentially if Lewis were to retire. Then we've got Vettel also making noise about being unhappy. He doesn't want to race for points, but wins. What does it mean for his future? Where do you see, which of these rumours do you see coming to fruition in the next year or two? Oh, Abby, I'm going to have to throw that to you. <laughs> I don't know. For me, I could see the Vettel rumour coming true. I think he could leave the sport very soon. He is a family man. Aston Martin have struggled this season and they've had the whole controversy of the green ball. And I, I love Vettel and I don't want him to leave the sport, but I can see him retiring. Leclerc to Mercedes, I don't think that was what Toto meant. I think Leclerc is very much Ferrari and made for Ferrari and will stay with Ferrari. Um, I'm not entirely sure who would take Hamilton's seat when he does eventually leave the sport, but I definitely don't think it would be Leclerc. I think there's more chance of Hamilton going to Ferrari and taking Leclerc's seat. I, I, I've, I just, I just, I, I can see it happening. Yes, it would be very strange Ferrari taking on Lewis Hamilton. However, it just seems to work. At the, you know, at the end of this year, maybe even, you know. I, at the end of Lewis Hamilton's contract and the Clare's contract, I can easily see Lewis going there. I, I really can. Just to finish off his career. I mean, red's his favourite colour, so there is that. He's always said, I mean, he, gets, he used to get linked to Ferrari all the time, and he's always said how much he respects them and how much he, he loves the cars. And I mean, the Tifosi seem to have got past their hatred of him as well now. So, yeah, never say never. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I think Charles will have to be betrayed by the Ferrari strategy team a lot more times before he decides that he wants to move on because it was his dream team and it was what his dad wanted him to go to and all that kind of stuff. So it does seem like he's their, their long-term their long term plan and he's his long term plan is there on the other ones yeah I think I agree with you about Seb he's openly said how it's hypocritical him being a racing driver and trying to push for change so I could definitely see him whether he would were to move to Formula E or something who knows but yeah it, being a hypocrite for the sake of trundling around trying to get 10th place 
having achieved what he already had. Maybe that will be it. Uh, and it would be a shame to see him leave, but it would give a, at least a, another seat open to potentially bring in Piastri and the others, Colton Herter and so on that we've been talking about. Yeah, I do believe Seb is a uh, he's he's clearly a supporter of young blood. You know, we've seen how he's treated uh, Mick Schumacher. Obviously, there's more of a connection there, but I don't think Seb would hold up a space for a younger driver unnecessarily. You know, maybe maybe like Alonso is. Um, so yeah, I, I believe I believe we could see Seb leave the sport soon. I think it'd be a, a real loss. I think he's making quite a big impact at the moment on the world through F1. Uh, it would be a shame. And Seb, Seb's been a, a very disliked man through his career in certain, in certain uh, groups. And actually, I was one of those groups, if I refer back to um, Baku, where he sideswiped Lewis Hamilton for no reason. And so, some, of the, some of his actions in the past have not been great. But Seb is a changed man, and you can't judge someone on what they used to be. You have to judge them on what they are now. And... I see Seb as a huge advocate for this sport. I really do. I, 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 I'd be very sad to see him go. Yeah, it's it's amazing how he's now so beloved. I mean, it always happens with these, especially with the legends of the sport who then end up in a midfield team and you don't get that hatred for them because they're winning from people who are sick of them winning, which was obviously the case with Seb. That was most of the hatred for him came from multi-21 and and the crash with Weber and the fact that he won four in a row. The same as there's so much opposition to Lewis now. If Lewis spends the next two seasons fighting for fifth and sixth with George, everyone will probably decide they love him again. That's just the, the nature of fandom to some extent. Uh, but yes, uh, I think it would be a real shame to see Seb go, but he's he's achieved so much. He, he would go with his head held high to go on and do arguably more important things. Mm. I don't feel like we're fully in silly season yet. I feel like it, it's... It's a bit early. It is a bit, it's, it's a bit it's early. It's just the build-up where these rumours start to, to kind of appear and then you see which one actually have any credit to them. Yeah, and I'm glad we put out the, the Daniel Ricciardo one today. That one, we, we put water on that flame today. Well, I think we've, we've found enough flames and put water on enough flames for this week. So we'll sign off. Uh, thanks for joining us. Be sure to head over to FormulaNerds.com to check out the latest news and be sure to cut out the next Cut to the Race podcast where we'll be discussing the French Grand Prix, which I should definitely know because I'm down the road from it. Uh, so that's you up to date with the world of F1 for now. Thank you, Abby, and thank you, Ollie, for stepping in to help us out in, uh, in our time of need. It's been great to have you. In your time of need, I feel so unappreciated. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, we'd have you every week. It's been good. It's been weird doing a race review and a news podcast in the same episode, but it's been fun. It has. I've enjoyed it. But yes, so that's you up to date, and we'll be back to catch you up again next week. Until then, over and out. <laughs> you mean. Continue heading 150. Hi, I'm Louise Goodman, and you're listening to the fantastic Cut to the Race podcast. Hello, my name is Ron Mylander, and you're listening to the Formula Birds podcast. Hi, Tennant and you are listening to the incredible Cut to the Race podcast. Hi, I'm Jordan King and you're listening to the Formula Nerds podcast. Hi, I'm Crofty. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out and away we go!
Social Podcast Network.